1: Tonight on Whiskey Business, what's it like to have the best seat in the house when it comes to sports? Todd Jones joins us tonight on Whiskey Business. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to. Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with, 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 with whiskey. <laughs> Haven't even had a sip yet. Haven't even had a sip yet. Uh, welcome to those who might be tuning in on Facebook Live and on YouTube Live as well. I am your host, Dino Tripotis, And uh, tonight on the podcast, Todd Jones will be joining us Uh Award winning sports writer, uh, great writer in general. He's written about more than just sports, but uh, he also has a new podcast called Press Box Access, which will be uh, debuting on February the 17th on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Uh, we'll let him talk more about what that podcast will consist of. But if you are a sports fan and always wondered about that front row seat, what's the next best thing? Well, maybe the gentlemen who write about all our beloved games and sports who are sitting there watching it firsthand and get to comment on some of the greatest uh, sports stories of all times. Those who were fortunate enough to be there. And I'm going to ask him about some of the lamest of all times (laughs) as well, because, you know, there's a seesaw effect. You know, for everything that's great, there's got to be something lame Uh, that. In mind let's talk about great and lame all in all in one fell swoop for just one second and i'm sure we'll discuss it more uh with todd a little bit but i have so many questions for him uh S- super bowl 55 <laughs> super bowl super super <laughs> 55 uh the, the much tight matchup between uh uh, 69-year-old Tom Brady <laughs> and uh and, and uh 17-year-old uh, Patrick Marlowe. <laughs> uh yeah, uh it was supposed to be quite the shootout which it was not. First of all, uh congratulations to Tampa Bay, uh, their defense had uh, had Patrick uh, running around wilder than somebody coughing on me at Kroger without a mascot. I mean, <laughs> I mean he was just all over the place. He couldn't go go anywhere. So, uh, a tip of the hat to the to the Tampa Bay defense and to Tampa Bay for uh, rallying in the middle of their season and and becoming the. The Super Bowl champs, Champa Bay, as they're as yeah. they're call, uh, calling it now, um, not a big salute to those who were celebrating afterwards uh, in in all the bars and restaurants, as if there was nothing going on in this country that that yeah, right. where you know where they could catch a cold or worse. And in respects to Tom Brady, let me say this: as a mature grown man who has respect and admiration for those who can do what I cannot in any field for that matter, be you a doctor, a lawyer, uh, a teacher, a professional athlete, a quarterback in the NFL. I have immense respect and admiration for what Tom Brady has done and what he apparently continues to do. Ten Super Bowls seven Super Bowl rings, five MVP awards. Um, He has tossed his uh, sling and arrows at my Pittsburgh Steelers while playing for the New England Patriots numerous times and have crushed my soul. So on that simple level, uh, hats off to Tom Brady. As a cynical, petty, petty, petty man who is a Steeler fan, the hell with Tom Brady. (laughs) Enough! (laughs) Enough, Tom Brady. Seriously. Seven Super Bowl, seven rings. One more ring than any other NFL franchise out there. I hated it when he tied, yes, I'm a Steeler fan. I hated when he tied the Pittsburgh Steelers for most Super Bowl wins. And then he has to go off and just, you know, win another one. And just for himself, you know, whatever <laughs> the case might be. I mean, how much longer does this go on? And does the, does the man ever have a bad day? A, is there such a thing as a bad day for Tom Brady? Does somebody actually have to actually – Pissing his corn flakes, and even if they did, he'd be like, "Joke on you! I don't eat cornflakes I don't eat corn. I don't eat, I don't eat flakes. I don't. I don't eat whatever crazy of the, the vegan diet that he's on." You know, I just have to think that on some level, you know, uh, with everything that he does to stay in shape and to do what he does, that on some level, he's got to be just miserable. On some level, and then again. Probably not. So I don't know about anybody else out there, but, but I feel better. So without further ado, let's get to our, our, our podcast tonight. I'm looking forward to talking with Todd Jones, who is our guest tonight. Like I said, new podcast called press box access also has another podcast out there. A one degree greater podcast. We'll talk about that. We've got a lots to get into with Todd, but first, uh, let me bring in the boys, uh, John Whitney and Greg Hansberry. Hello, Hansberry hello. On the audio side, John Whitney hey, on hey,
2: the hey,
1: audio hey. side. Hey. And Hansberry's got the, what is that, The an OSU album mm-hmm. in the background. Yeah, the got, got, the I, got the Buckeyes. Great
0: Ohio State memories. Uh, Volume yeah.
1: one. Volume one, because yeah. you know, you know, baby, there's tons of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tons of them. So, Hansberry, a little bit of business before we introduce the guest bottle tonight and move on to Todd.
0: That's right. Thanks for checking out whiskey business, everybody. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube right now, thank you. Welcome. Uh, Feel free to go ahead and leave a comment or question. If you have a question for us or for Todd, Uh, we'll try to include them uh, in the show uh, the best we can. Uh, And while you're here, go ahead and like us and share. If you haven't already done that, click on the little uh, subscribe buttons down here. If you're on YouTube, Uh, we're also on pretty much every uh, podcasting platform out there. You can find, Uh, go ahead and subscribe uh, to us there. Uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeart, um, I don't know, Disney Plus. I forget. I, I, I forget all I forget all the list of them.
1: Pretty much any place you get a podcast, you can get us. Pretty That's much. right. And
0: also all of our archives and everything else, uh whiskeybusinesspod.com. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
1: Our guest bottle, our 154th bottle on the podcast tonight. Uh, unlike the name filibuster, I will not be going on a long, long filibuster about this particular bottle. But it is a, a 90 proof uh, dual cask a straight whiskey uh, bourbon from Virginia. A filibuster, a, a dual cask meeting, of course. That uh, uh, first started in, in, in charred oak barrels, and then it rested in some California wine barrels as well before it came to us. It is a uh, ninety proof. Um, it's it's uh, it's supposedly uh, known for its spiciness, but I, I find this one to be uh, rather sweet with a lot of caramel. Even though they tote and and and, and brag about the vanilla and the cocoa. I pick up more more caramel in the filibuster mm. Mm. than anything else. Now, this is one of the many bottles that uh, that I scored uh, on Thanksgiving mm. when I was up in Tennessee. That came from my very generous brother-in-law, uh, who wanted. Oh, uh, you got the Weller Special Reserve over there, and Hansbury. What do you got going on? Watershed. Watershed. Nice. Um, Stay I- local. I-
0: Yeah, I love. uh, I'm really into the uh, wine cask aged uh, stuff. It just adds that really, really yummy maple sweetness to it. Mm. Yeah, it does. Big fan. fan. This
1: one's very nice. It's very sweet, very smooth. Oh, and it retails for anywhere between. I've seen it somewhere between uh, uh, forty-eight and fifty-three dollars a bottle. Reasonable. So, if you want to pick it up, uh, and you got that kind of kind of change, I don't think you'd be disappointed. And in the in the filibuster from Virginia, from the Commonwealth of Virginia, this particular bottle is extremely suitable for the straight bourbon whiskey drinker.
2: <laughs> I okay. thought you are I thought I didn't think you were doing a filibuster tonight.
1: I was not doing a filibuster. <laughs> <laughs> a Settle in. You got As the filibuster. A filibuster. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, and our guest tonight is not is admittedly not a big whiskey drinker. And he kept expressing all that concern. About it, and I said, you know, you don't have to drink whiskey to be on whiskey business. You just have to be a good guest, which I know he's going to be. As we welcome Todd Jones, everybody, Todd, yeah. Jones, there he is. What's up, fellas? Congratulations, right out of the gate, sir. Let me say this. Let me say this: that you win the award for having the most books behind him of any guest we've ever had. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, I
3: got to say, most of these came with crayons. Very nice, <laughs> it
1: looks very, very impressive. Doesn't
3: mean I read them, they just might be a display. You know? Oh, they prop, no, 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 <laughs> no.
1: I, you know, I, I know a little bit about you, uh, aside from uh, uh, being a, a great writer and uh, having a, an extremely long career. Uh, yeah, long. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I mean, 20 years at the Columbus Dispatch, 10 years at the Cincinnati Post. Uh, you're originally from Kentucky, which we will not hold against you. Um, (laughs) Hey, watch it now. (laughs) 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 Uh, Uh, But some work at the Lexington Herald, not to mention the dozens, uh, and I, of periodicals and newspapers and magazines that you've written for over the years, uh, primarily about sports, but you've also written about the human condition that you've covered Hurricane Katrina. You've covered a lot of bases, but tonight, Tonight we're going to stay in what uh, we consider to be one of your favorite wheelhouses, that of sports and sports ready and Press Box Access, which is a new podcast getting ready to debut on February the 17th on the Evergreen uh, Podcast
3: Network. Tell us about Press Box Access before we
1: actually dig into some of the minutiae here.
3: Yeah, thanks. I'm really excited about it. It uh, The show debuts uh, next Wednesday, February 17th, and it, Originated, It kind of was an idea that I had for a book that I was kicking around because I've been out of sports writing for about three and a half years now. And um, the things I was missing was just not so much the games or the players or the coaches, but just my friends in sports writing. And the idea that, you know, we used to spend a lot of time on the road or in press boxes, you know, just telling stories, catching up about things that they were covering or people that they had come across. And a lot of us just funny behind the scenes type of stories. And um, what I realized is that a lot of those stories are just they're just entertaining for people who have never really had a chance to have the type of access that we had. So the idea basically is like, you know, sit down, join us, think of it as a, as a bar, coffee house, whatever you want it to be. And you know, we'll just tell you some stories that we used to tell each other, some of them that we never wrote about. And I uh, not, you know, it doesn't have to be salacious, so but, you know, sometimes it's just enlightening, funny things that happen behind the scenes. And and I think people will enjoy it. So we've already taped uh, five or six writers and it's going to come out on the 17th. And every two weeks, there'll be a new episode. Writers from throughout the country uh, who covered pretty much everything in the last 30, 40, even 50 years. So uh, think of it as like an oral history. Very you nice. Know, getting, right. the, uh, getting the tales of some of these writers before they... uh head off into the
2: sunset i have yeah. the trailer should i just play it right now yeah sure.
1: give it a, a little run all right here we go
3: guys you've heard stories well some of them jordan gretzky ali oh there are stories the miracle on ice Secretariat at the belmont duke kentucky the catch the drive the shot you want to hear what it was like to be there? Come behind the scenes. I'm Todd Jones. I was a sports writer for 30 years, traveled our nation and the world for major sporting events, wrote thousands of stories, collected many more. Join me on PressBox Access, where you'll sit down with sports writers who knew the greatest athletes and coaches and experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments in the past half century. Let us buy you around on Box Access, coming to you from Evergreen Podcast in 2021. Nice, boy. That Proper sounds professional. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I point out that you know Evergreen Podcast. Uh, I'm really fortunate to partner with them. Uh, you know, as a former writer, you know, I'm new to the audio world for the most part, and you know, teaming up with uh, a network like that that's really growing and full of professional people that know know what they're doing. It's been a big help, and they've been uh, they've been great to work with. So I'm really fortunate.
1: Yeah. Well, congratulations, and, uh, and it's really something to look forward to. I want to just hit you right out of the gate with a question that something you just said kind of casually and threw it off. You've been out of sports writing, you said, for three and a half years. Is a sports writer ever really, really out of sports writing? I mean, is it is that is it that something that stays in your blood
3: and in your uh, in your consciousness? Yeah, I think I think you're right. You know, I um, I actually now I've been working at Ohio State for the alumni magazine as a writer. But, you know, if I if I uh, see a story written by a friend or I turn it into a game, you know, your mind just kind of goes back to what you did all those years. And it really happens at night. You know, if a game is going on, as a newspaper guy, you're always on deadline at night, right? These games are right. going on. And your deadline might be 10.30, 11, 11.30. And so even now when I'm watching a game, I, I keep checking the time on my phone.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: like how much time do I have? Because that's all you really thought about during the game was trying sure. to beat deadline. So uh, I still have flashbacks. I like to say I'm a recovering sports writer. There you go. That might be more. That might be more accurate. And when you started
1: your career in journalism, was it sports
3: writing? Is that what you always wanted to be? Was a sports writer? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, I was, I was you know played a lot of sports, was into it, and I you know I liked to write. About halfway through college, I finally got my act together and started working for the student paper at the University of Kentucky, and you know, I didn't know how to become a sports writer, you know, I didn't know, like, you know, it sounded great. Um, and I just, you know, I got met some people, I got fortunate, got some experience. And, and early on, you know, once I realized, Hey, these guys are sitting in the front row at the greatest basketball game. And right. You know, and they're traveling on a road. This is back when newspapers had money and it send you everywhere They're travel per <laughs> DM, you know? And I'm like, well, this sounds like a pretty good life to me. It beats working. <laughs> so yeah, so I just kind of stumbled into it. And, uh, you know, once you got into it, it was like it was almost like the mob. Once you're in, you're in, you know, until you're not. Until you're not, yeah. <laughs> you're not. And it,
1: and and what's it take to be part? What's it take to be a made man? If you if you're going to use a mob reference in the sports writing world, when I think of some of the you know some of the great sports writing, uh, you start thinking about everybody. The, the ones that uh, the that, that were truly great had a unique style, uh, be it either, uh a rise sense of humor uh or an interesting uh, uh take on what they could peel back from the story be it the the actual sports figure themselves or the uh the art of the game that they were covering whatever the case might be so when it comes to sports writing and and covering the the underbelly what do you consider to be one of the more intriguing uh factors to get somebody to to continue to read other than just you know the facts about the game and, and, you know, who excelled and, 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 and who sucked.
3: Yeah. yeah. I think for me, you know, it was always who, who could, who could get to the the human element. Uh, The great writer, Jim Murray from the LA times was a hero of mine when I was young. Um, And he always said that he wrote about people. He didn't write about things that people want to read about people. And uh, I always thought of that whenever I was trying to cover something was like, you know, if I'm at the Indy 500, I can't even change the oil in my own car. You know, the guy who's (laughs) working on the engine, he might have a really interesting story. So you could write about auto racing in a way that makes it a little more universal. So I always admired the the great writers who could do that because let's face it, especially nowadays, you know, we know the results. We know it in in live time, you know, right. Watch games on Twitter and know exactly what's happening. Right. So the challenge is to, is to really try to bring people into a world where they're they're not privy to being behind the scenes or not privy to talking to these players and coaches and just uh, just making them making it a universal type of story. Let's go back. Let's go back a little bit. So early on in your career, what was your first
1: your first big sports moment that you covered, like like where you said to yourself, okay. This is this Don't is blow big. It. <laughs> this, this, this is big. This is big. This is a big sports moment, and I got to get it right.
3: Well, I think uh, you know, I started um, after a couple of internships. I was started at the uh, Cincinnati Post. I had been there in 1987. I started full time in '89, and I, I was kind of put on the Bengals beat uh, as the backup, the second writer on the beat. And uh, so all of a sudden, I was around an NFL team on a day-to-day basis, and not only that, but a team that you know I grew up there. So right across the river. Uh, from Cincinnati. So all of a sudden I went from like knowing, you know, reading and hearing about these guys to like all of a sudden I'm writing about them on a day-to-day basis. And so that was kind of eye opening to realize that, geez, you know, a few years ago, I was just stumbling around uh, in college like a fool. And now here I am, you know, around an NFL team on a day-to-day basis. Uh, So it was a little disconcerting and like, you know, are you really here? So I just learned to keep my mouth shut early on, watch the veteran reporters, learn from them, Soak it up. And so, uh, you know, the NFL was a great indoctrination to uh, to a, a world that just, you know, kept growing and growing the, the deeper I got into it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was your what was your uh, in the, over the course of your career? What was your pinch me? I can't believe I'm watching this and covering it moment. What was the one that one moment where you were in awe that you were present and, and, and then realized, oh, shit, now I got to write about it. Well, I think uh, and that's and I know that covers a lot of territory and a lot of sports.
3: Yeah, there there you know obviously some great great athletes that I was fortunate to see but in some games that stick out but really I think the event that really struck me more than any was covering the Olympics. Um you know I was lucky enough the dispatch was great to me. They sent me to uh Sydney, Australia for the uh, Sydney Olympics in 2000. That's nice. I went to the Salt Lake Olympics yeah. and uh, the Winter Olympics. And then I went to Athens, Greece. Oh. And, um, you know, I just think, you know, being on a world stage like that, um, where you have just people from all over the place coming together and the atmosphere is so overwhelming, it's such a different experience in person. You know, I notice when I don't cover the Olympics now, I see it on TV. It's just a show. It's a TV show, the way it's packaged and presented. Right. When You're there in person. It, it's it's really an amazing scene to, to see everybody from around the world. You know, you're sitting there in a press box and you have a, a guy in an African robe typing away about some mm-hmm. athlete from his city in Africa that, that he's writing about. The same as you're writing about an athlete from Columbus who happen to be in the Olympics. It's a small world, right? Yeah, yeah. A writer, a writer's a writer, right? So- yeah, yeah. It, a, was, a fun it was really fact, interesting. God. The press conferences were fantastic. You know, you would you'd get these the, the the different press corps from around the world, they would treat their athletes much differently than even in the US. I mean some of them were just brutal. The way they would <laughs> they way they would just grill these people. Uh the, the most famous Olympic question that I would, was aware of that I wasn't present for, but Uh, you know, um, somebody failed uh, in some event, I forget what country it was, and the question from that country's reporter was, you are a national disgrace, please respond. (laughs) Nice. Wow. wow. <laughs> so people, the- think, people think the American reporters are tough. They they ought to see some of the you uh You are a nationalist
1: and when you get home you will be murdered. Yeah, well that I'm might have been about you know, that.
3: True. Who knows? Especially in soccer, right? Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> Seriously. Uh speaking of the press box, we got an interesting question and we're gonna I I knew that uh, some OSU stuff would pop up here. But this is ancient history, OSU, so so uh it, Jamie Sanfilippo wants to know: uh, the OSU Miami game, the national championship game, was it pass interference, and what did the guys in the press box say or think at that particular time? I'm a Buckeye fan, and I was there, but I always want to know what the rest of the world thought in that moment.
3: Well, I got to tell you, I was I was in that press box, and that is sports writers talk about uh, deadlines the way they did in Jaws, where they were comparing their scars. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, and that game is one of the all timers in terms of deadline. Just insanity. It was so late at night. Oh yeah. Double overtime. It was back and forth. One of the greatest games that you can witness. So I know in the moment it wasn't like I didn't know if I judged it whether it was an accurate call. I just know that at the one hand we thought the game was over and I was trying to file my story. There were fireworks going off. Miami oh. was celebrating, and so then they change it, and then next thing you know your whole story is changing. Right. You're looking at your watch. There's a flag uh, in the end zone. <laughs> um, yeah, looking back, I thought it was Passing interference, uh-huh. but it it obviously wasn't, right? Uh-huh. You know, the call was made, and uh, and you know the Buckeyes uh, took advantage of it and and won the game. Yeah. Um, but in the moment, it was just too chaotic to even. I don't think anybody around us was saying, "Well, was that pass interference or not?" I think they were more like thinking, "Like, oh, Christ, what am I going to write now?" <laughs> because <laughs> right. this was happening so. Scrap so all that. So yeah,
0: the, the, yeah. The, what uh, was
3: the- I do remember one thing about that that play that's really crazy. That Sean Taylor, the safety, uh, the great safety for the, the Hurricanes, you know, unfortunately later in the NFL, he he was murdered. Uh, but in that play. He threw his helmet off in celebration,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and when it came down, it. we later found out it cracked, and he had to go off the field because he didn't have a helmet. And on the very next play, Ohio State scored right up the middle. Oh. On the field. Not that they wouldn't have anyway, but it was just That's one true. of those, one I of those I great see. little details that, that happen in a game like that. Yeah. Those things are like Tolstoy novels or something. Yeah, the yeah. fate <laughs>
1: sometimes weaves a very strange
3: yeah, right. a little of right? circumstances.
1: I mean, yeah, that, was, that was
3: just an incredible both, – both sides, there were so many great plays. Uh, just what a what a game! That's one of them. Yeah.
1: I was at that game. Jamie, who asked the question, was at that, that game. I was at that game with my college roommate, Greg Dittori. Uh that, that was just uh, yeah, it was incredible. It was incredible. Uh, so the consensus basically is, I don't know if Jamie got a satisfactory
3: answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of it, a lot of all it, you know, the you you're down to Florida, the you know, people down there are going to say. Uh, you know, they're going to say it one way. and Of course lie. they're going to say it. That's what's that's what's great about sports, right? And I do feel like I liked it better back then when there wasn't the instant replay and it took 20 minutes to figure oh, out yeah. what happened. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, we lived with a human decision and and you played on, you know, players, you know, whether it was the right call or not, you know, you play on and, and they did I like the fact that our listeners are actually doing my job for me. I like yeah, this
1: question yeah. from Eric Osbeck. Did, did he? Did you ever have a Gonzo journalist moment, uh, a la Hunter S. Thompson, with the backstory <laughs> to the actual game, the backstory to the actual game, was more interesting uh, than what you wrote about instead?
3: Well, I I did come out of a bar in New Orleans one one time when the sun was coming up, and uh, uh, who hasn't? And uh you know, there was some stuff to write the next day. So uh yeah, there are there are some gonzo moments. Um I, I think shooting, the old adage out. is uh, you know, no whining in the press box. You gotta play hurt. If you're gonna play the game at night, you gotta play the game during the game. Uh so there was always a lot of respect that certain writers had for each other that they knew if they, those guys could play late into the night, if they could also do the job the next day. So uh uh, so yeah there was there was definitely some times where uh it felt like you had to check the skyline to figure out where I am I because I've been on the road too long. Right. And uh, who who's did,
1: did you fall into the cliche, the stereotype, the uh, you know the the cigarette smoking, cigar chopping, whiskey drinking uh, sports writer who Well, it wasn't
3: so much the the whiskey like I told you, but it was beer, I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, a lot of miles with the with the beer involved but um uh, yeah you know there are cliches you know what I think I noticed about sports riding it started to change when the clothing started to change uh you know I think early in my career you know you'd show up you practically had bowling shoes on and uh, you know you know some mustard stained shirt and, uh, next thing you know tv started getting involved guys aren't started doing appearances and that clothes started getting better and better, you know. And then yeah. by the time I retired, I didn't even know what the, what I was wearing. I was like, "This is crazy." And I got to do this so I wouldn't have to wear a tie. And I look around, and it's like all oh, these guys are sharply dressed. I mean, you know what happened to sports riding? <laughs> 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 uh, going back just one second to the
1: uh, OSU Miami game, you know, we said that I don't know if Jamie got a satisfactory answer. And you met and you said, uh, "Imagine if you're from Florida." My brother-in-law just chimed in who lives in Florida, uh, worst call in college football. <laughs> <you> go, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's what makes it great. I mean, when you think about it, all sports is basically an argument. Like it, yeah, it uh, is. It's it's basically, it down to, right? It basically so, like, is. In many respects, that's what the podcast is about, just you know, <coughs> telling stories like this, arguing in a bar, kicking it around. I mean, that's, that's what I, makes, you know, fun. I like that. Kind of I
0: like because I'm kind of the next generation of media – And it's fun to hear the older generation tell these stories because, uh, I mean, I don't think anything has gotten crazier, but nowadays, social media, everybody, you already hear everything right away. You either post about it or blog about it or somebody tweets about it. But there's this whole catalog of all these cool stories that's kind of off the record that you tell among uh, us media folks about XYZ, so-and-so, you know, uh, having to – you know, of uh, flash right. water on them and, and get them up to the microphone and and that kind of thing and and there's just this rich history of like you said almost this oral history of of uh, of getting it done. Uh, you know, aside from uh, from even just the, how it went out on the field.
3: Yeah, it's really it's really a reflection of how the world yeah. changes. I mean, you know, the one thing we're, that I want to do with the show is not bemoan the fact that it, oh, you know, in the old days, you know, yeah. I, you know, the world changes. You know, more power to the sports writers, the media today. You know, they're doing a job that's in many ways much tougher than I had to do when I was younger. Because when I found my story at night, I was finished. You know there wasn't yeah. you didn't have to worry about tweeting and well, breaking yeah, things in the right. moment. Yeah. So, know, really so it's not them. really like you know bemoaning the, the change but you know one of the reasons access is in the uh the title of the show is that th- that's probably one of the biggest changes you know now compared to when i started in the late 80s was the access that you had was so yeah. much greater i mean it was just so much more ex- you just you I'll give you an example. Like, you know, I started with the Bengals beat right out of college in the late 80s. You know, Mike Brown, the owner of the team, you know, he gives you his home phone number. Nice. And Sam Weiss, you're at training camp, and Sam Weiss's room is right down the hall from you. If you had a question at night, you just go down and knock on his door. Uh, Boomer Sison was the quarterback, and he would talk to the riders every day at his locker. You know, now you get the quarterback once a week, and it's 15 minutes, everybody in a press conference. You talk to boomer in his locker, he would talk forever at the point where he at the end, he'd say, you guys got enough. So, you know, I, so uh, I, just, have, I have, have a question chance to, to, to talk to guys and develop a, a respect and a rapport and a yeah. trust. Yeah, trust um, so, is big. Yeah. Like, <laughs> sorry, sorry John, you can ask us
0: a second. But we always talk about Dino. Like, I've got so much tape on Dino. <laughs> <laughs> rolling tape, man. <laughs> I could, I could really bury him if I wanted. But rolling it's, tape it's, on what? From
1: his well, podcast. Just, <laughs> <about> everything, dude. <laughs> <From podcast, laughs> you got nothing on me, Hansberry. Yeah, all right. No, where, the, where, as opposed to you. <laughs> <That's
0: right. laughs> okay i think that, and that's the whole thing is it's just this kind of brotherhood sisterhood uh, yeah. where we kind of yeah. there's this unspoken word of like all right you know you don't cross that line <laughs> so
2: you, you were talking about like uh talking to people in the locker at the locker room at their locker uh in your career who was the one athlete that you said i need a quote that's gold who gave you every quote was gold
3: well, I, I mentioned uh, Boomer. He was he was fantastic. Casayson was was great. I'll give you a quick Boomer story. Here's how good of a media guy Boomer was. One time in the off season, uh, you know, one of the one of the editors was filling in in sports. He was in news and he had moved over. I guess the sports editor was on vacation. Anyway, this guy asks, says, "Hey, I got a great story for you. I hear Boomer's playing softball." This is like in June, you know, and it's. I'm like, so what? I mean, so what? He's playing softball, and I'm like. You know, just leave him alone. You know, he's good to us during the season, unless it's a news thing we shouldn't bother him with. No, no, I couldn't talk my way out of it. So I had to go out to the softball complex. And so I'm sitting at the softball field waiting. And I see Boomer and this guy, Mark Pike, who played for the Bills, and he lived in Northern Kentucky. So Boomer and Mark Pike are walking over towards me. And from about 30 yards away, Boomer sees me and he says, this is not a story. Like, he knew it wasn't a story, right? And right. He's not real happy that I'm there, but he comes over and he kind of is not happy. And then finally, he goes, "What do you need?" And he sat down uh-huh. and I threw some softball questions at him. No point, blue exactly right. He knew I had a job to do. He had better news judgment than the guy who told me to go do it. And your boss. But he also had a, <laughs> he also knew I needed to get what I needed to get. Provided we oh, yeah. moved on, and he played shortstop as a left hander. By the way, that's <laughs> weird. That's weird. Interesting.
1: That's uh, Oh, in that same vein, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna piggyback on on Whitney. Not so much as far as with gold, but uh, who's the biggest asshole that you? Well,
3: uh, I know that might well, be a big list. Well, you know, Bonds was tough. Barry Bonds was tough. Um, you know, and some guys just didn't want to play the game. Now there was different. There were, you know, in some ways we were pretty judgmental, right? If a guy wasn't cooperative, you know, oh, he's a he's an ass, but you know, maybe, you know, maybe the guy just isn't comfortable talking, you know, talking to uh, the media. But Bonds was just tough, and he would mess with you a little bit. Um, I remember one time I went down, I was working in Columbus, and I went down to cover a Giants game at the Reds, and I was, you know, I said, you know what, I'm going to go see if I can get a one-on-one with Bonds just for the hell of it. And so I went over to his locker, and he started talking to me, and he started talking some more. And what I realized about 10 minutes into it was – he was only talking to me to screw with the San Francisco writers. <laughs> they were all standing over there looking over like, who is this guy? And why is Bonds talking to this guy? And he was just doing it to mess with them. So, uh, nice. so it was tough. I mean, you know, sometimes coaches would be tough, you know, Knight, you know, Knight has a great reputation of being tough, but I always tried to, to be a little thoughtful in terms of, especially after a game, you know, how would I feel if somebody come in and, Right. You know, copying in the moment and I, you know I don't know I wouldn't necessarily be easy talk and so you as I got older I got more understanding about that you know when you were a younger reporter uh, you know you you know I remember Lou Panella like would you know he blew me up a couple times and it was it was kind of like disconcerting you know I mean uh, but then you realized you know oh actually he really likes writers and he, you know you'd get along because it's almost like if you could take his wrath, and come back for more. You know, it it was like a, an element of respect, and so you know, over time, it's like you build up a good rapport and a good relationship. So yeah, I, I find
1: this to be an interesting question to ask you now that you've had a chance to mellow and 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 look back and reflect. I would have loved to ask you the same question. In the in the middle of your career, when you were just you know, if I would have said to you 20 years ago, "Who's the biggest dick you ever interviewed?" I bet you you would have had an answer like, going to be split one. I got five.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, uh, I think in college basketball, was I had, I had a tough, I had a tough uh, relationship with Bob Huggins at, at times. You know, I wasn't I, uh-huh. I my beat all the time, but. Uh, There were times when Huggins and I didn't get along, but over time, it's like, you know, over time, it got to be fine. You know, I see Huggins now. It's totally fine. But when you were younger, it was, you know, you felt like you were being tested and maybe you you didn't really have the perspective to understand the context about where they're coming from, um, you know, in terms of what you're trying to ask about or write about. So you learn to uh, you just learn how to deal with it. And I think a lot of that stuff lessened when the cameras became more prevalent, mm-hmm. you know? And that's when the flip side of less access, now the access <laughs> is so controlled that everything's on camera. And the last thing a player or coach wants to be is, you know, blows up and then he, he or she is on Twitter, you know, and it's like a Karen moment, right? Right. right. Well, those right. Karen moments used to happen behind the scenes. And what do you, knew you about know about it? It was just be like, dust yourself off. And, and here's the thing. If you wrote something that was, very critical, or or, or it was a news story that you knew was somebody was not going to be happy about. You had to show up. You had to go back the next day and be there, because if you're expecting things out of them that you know you, they should have a chance to, uh, you know, to plead their case or make their point or just tell you off, if that was the case. So uh, that was another thing you respected. You respected the writers who they could throw a speed ball, fastball, but they go to, they would show up the next day too. Nice. Ah uh, question another question
1: from one of our our listeners. Do you agree that this year has proven that fans in the stands make the game? It's boring and uninspiring to not see and
3: hear the stands going crazy yeah i uh, I really really do think that's a great point i I went to the Ohio State Rutgers football game this year uh-huh. um and it was just so. It was bizarre. It was yeah. like futuristic. Like where in the hell is everybody? Yeah. Hundred thousand seat stadium. Hundred twenty. Whatever you know. And and you look around. And there's you could like when Justin Fields would clap his hands on up. Right for the sound. you could hear it right? you can hear the clap you could hear the clap yeah and if i see like a college basketball game on tv now it's just like it's like bad minor league basketball <laughs> like, i mean college basketball you need the arena the gym you yeah. know the, the people the screaming they're going crazy the fans the students you know it, it just really doesn't you know, so what you say it it's missing across it's, the same,
1: it's, it's it not doesn't come so much doesn't come across the same, but you also think, in, in respects to the game, it's it's part of the adrenaline factor for the players as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you
3: could feel it. I mean, in, especially in certain stadiums and certain arenas, it really did have a, a definite effect on the momentum of games. Uh, you could just, especially if you go down in a field in certain places, like in a football game, the intensity is just so fantastic the noise. It's like being in a rock concert in the front row, right? It's just a right. Yeah. Experience. Well, I've an experience. And i always felt that yeah. way with the NFL. It just doesn't yeah. transfer to television the same way. Yeah. Like, if you're on the field you see the speed and the size of these guys, it, it really actually takes your breath away at times. And then you see it on television, it's just real flat. There's no perspective. It's like you got to hold the fish up against something to give it some scale. Yeah.
1: It's interesting though, because like when I was watching this this past season, when I was watching uh, uh, when hockey came back and they were in the in the bubble and and, and playing in the bubble, uh, as long as I didn't see the stands, right? I, as long as they stayed on the ice, I I started to forget that there was no people there and actually focused uh, on the game itself. So I have to say personally that while I do prefer a stadium to be packed and everything and so forth and so on, see a bunch of people, there have been times where I have kind of forgotten
3: yeah. uh,
1: that the that the fans weren't there and actually did focus on the game. Same with the you know with with, with, with baseball as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I stay my my eyes were on the field
3: or on the ice, or yeah. It's great. Nobody games anyway. Too. Just seeing if you just concentrate on the rink itself, it is different. But if you yeah. if you're if you're able to see beyond that, but if I were at the game,
1: yeah, if I were actually at the game and, and sitting you know in, in the shoe and and being one of the lone survivors <laughs> that's after, <laughs> that, you know that's sitting around there, that would seem very surreal and yeah. weird. I, yeah. think be, I, think, I think I'd be think I think I think I'd be more obsessed with what wasn't around me. Than what was right on, on the field, so um, back to uh, some of
3: your career as well. Um, career that's just a, a word that makes you sound old, isn't it? Yeah, no, it mm-hmm. doesn't. I guess that's what we are, man. You know, like mid 50s, I'm yeah, talking about the old days, it's like this is.
1: Talk about what happened, man. You still have a career. I mean, you're still doing something. You look. You've stepped. You've got. You've got one podcast that's going on as we speak. (coughs) One degree greater. Uh, You still work for the OSU Alumni Magazine. You're starting another podcast, Press Box Access. You still have a career. You're just shifting with the times, which like we are as well. And uh, and I think you're still just probably discovering things about yourself. Yeah, I discovered.
3: You and I have discovered naps are great. (laughs) (laughs) I wake up now when I used to get in, you know, so
1: And maybe and maybe now, <laughs> as, as you talk, as you're getting into the podcast world, uh, you know, when you're writing as a columnist or, or a sports writer or whatever you might have been writing out, you you, you write in, in a certain perspective and give an opinion. Now you're interviewing people. Now you're now you're actually you know, talking to people face to face. You're able to go a little deeper. And does is that intimidating, challenging, uh, fascinating?
3: Uh, no, I'm all, I'm always just been, you know, I'm a very curious person, and so I really enjoy the interview part of being a, you know, it's, it's storyteller. My it's my you favorite,
1: know,
3: I, and that's what it's, it's helped me with, you know, transitioning in the podcasting. It's it's still storytelling, you know. That's what we're doing here, right? It's like we're sitting around telling stories. You know, and so for me, whenever I was doing stories over the years, whether it was in sports or not, just talking to talking to some person, getting their story, it was always thrilling and educating. And uh, it was like I used to sit in the airport and you would see all these people coming and going. I would say to myself, What's what's that person's story? Or what's that family? There's you know, happiness, there's sadness. There's all these things going on in an airport lot, you know, a terminal. And I would just imagine that. And then as a journalist all those years. You get paid to go ask questions about people. And it was amazing how many people would just invite you into their lives. You know, um, you know when you're a sports writer all those years, everybody assumes like it was always the biggest moments, the biggest, greatest. Uh, oh, it's Michael Jordan. It's this and that. And, but sometimes it was just a really small, small story, small moments that, that leave the most uh, effect on you. And, the, and things that you remember aren't necessarily the things that people think you would remember.
1: Yeah. Uh, and maybe not so much the the smaller moments that I want to ask you about right now, because you're right. There are some small things. I, I've i said it on this podcast a, a dozen times that, uh, that our guests have run the gamut from A to Z and everybody has, has a story. It's just, it's, a, it's up to us mm-hmm. to, to kind of dig a little deeper and find out what that story might be. So um, in respects to what you've done, as a writer and now a podcaster, but I'm going to focus once again on, on the writing. Um, what's the lamest thing you ever had to cover? <laughs> 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 not you
3: talk, we're talking about talking about counting oh, this. Not counting business.
1: We were there for the greatest. And this I mean, I've, I've written a lot of
3: lame things you know there
1: <laughs> uh, no no all right you know i'm, I'm sure you yeah, i'm sure when you when you judge your columns from 1 to 10, 10 being the greatest i'm sure you i'm sure you you you, you send in some fives and some
3: four hey man. Stand up doubles or a hit by, yeah, hits, you know, still getting on base, you know. But but as far <laughs> as like,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly.
3: Right? I you mean, right like, about putt putt in the eighties. You know,
1: Come on. I one time got
3: a sports doing? writing class at Ohio University, and I jokingly said, "It was sort of a joke." I said, "The real challenge in sports writing is not to write a great story; it's to write an adequate story when you're hungover."
1: Yeah, yeah. that that, yeah. That's, that could be my new mantra. <laughs> in general but you didn't answer the question what's the lamest thing you ever had to cover
3: oh. well i did i did go to the state fair and write about cornhole once
1: <laughs> <laughs> and wrote a story about
3: the guy was known as the king of sling
1: the king of sling and he lost you got oh, no. the, king, the king was the throat. There, I mean, no. long live stuff. the, the king! Take the miracle on ice. Also,
3: I saw the king of sling get upstaged <laughs> <laughs> at the state fairgrounds here in Columbus. Uh, oh my gosh! Great uh, moment in great. sports history. Who,
1: who knew? Who knew that you would be right there at that particular
3: moment where the you uh, just never know, right? You and, know? And, 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 and who dethroned him? Did you interview that person? No, I think I was more enthralled by the idea that the king of sling had had been beaten so I think I wrote about the king going down. The king, of the king. I can't do credit to the the victor but uh, the, the king of sling, um you know heavy that is person th- needed to he needed to answer some damn questions. Now I'm telling yeah, no you. Doubt. <laughs> heavy huh. heavy
1: heavy is the head that wears where's the crowd as they say. Oh my god. Who was the most humble person you ever interviewed that, that that was over the course of the years, you know, somebody who who could have been, you know, based on their athletic prowess and 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 what they brought to whatever their sport might have been, you know, could have been uh, a huge egomaniac, but actually was probably the most most humble and grateful for where he was and, oh. and, and what he had to accomplish and somebody that you got to speak to.
3: Well, one one guy to come to mind. I used to write a lot of baseball in Cincinnati in the early '90s, and Tony Gwynn was great. Oh yeah, uh, he was very, very humble and just a very easygoing, just a kind of a kind soul. Um, you know, I think some of his teammates, you know, almost resented the fact that he was always doing interviews. You know, like sometimes guys would talk a lot, and they would get. Almost like criticized behind your back for being like they call them moths and like moths to the light, you know, well, the so that's not why Tony was talking. Tony was talking because he was a nice person. He was a health player. And so much of baseball is about talking about baseball. Yeah. yeah. You know? And Tony was a great, great guy like that. Greg Maddox, the pitcher for the Braves, was also a, mm-hmm. just a very soft spoken, just even keel guy. Just very great, you know, analytic analytics about what he was doing on the mound. And and um, so, you know, I always felt like you know people would say, well, what's so and so like? And it's like, you know, you're catching them in very contrived moments for the most part. Um, if somebody was an asshole to you when you were doing an interview, it doesn't mean they were an asshole in real life. If somebody was a nice person doesn't mean they were necessarily a great person away from that that setting. You take 50 people on a fo- fifty three people on a football team in the NFL. You take 50 people off the street and put them in a room. There's going to be some jerks. There's going to be some nice guys. There's going to be some people that are frauds. And, you know, when, you, when you're on a beat and you're around one team every day, you right. know who's who and you learn who to avoid and who to talk to and mm-hmm. who to deal with. So it's, they're just people. In the end, they're, they're people. And if you treat them like that with respect uh, in good times and bad, uh, I think you, you had a better working relationship with them. Do they still have
0: the same personnel? Sorry, do you know? Like, I mean, do they still, even though, I mean, things have changed and you know, Twitter and such. I mean, is there still, you know, a guy on the beats for the Reds and, and and you know, that kind of thing? Or is it just, you know, is there one guy that covers everything?
3: No, there's still typically beats. I mean, the city will have, you know, like uh, my great friend Aaron Portsline has been covering the Blue Jackets since the right. day it started. You know, cities will have a person assigned to a beat. Um, you know, that's one thing, like in my career, I really didn't do much of that. Like I had the fortune of like I it was either doing columns or I was doing profiles or I was doing big events. And, you know, the dispatch was great. They would send me to different things. So I was like parachuting into different environments, cool. which is one of the reasons I did the show was because I know a lot of writers from around the country because I was doing a lot of different sports. Yeah, sure. But then you take a guy like Hal McCoy, the Dayton Daily News, who's covered the red since yeah. 1974, yep. day after day. I mean, I have a ton of respect for for any writer that can do that because, right. and you know, that's much more difficult in some ways than what I was doing. Right? You know, and you know what I was doing was had its own challenges. You're you're showing up like a smoke jumper and trying to figure out what the hell's going on here. But you know, going <laughs> it day after day after day with the same people. I mean, that takes a real skill and a talent, especially mm. like a baseball writer. Sure. If you could go
1: back before your time, before you were actually doing what you do, you know, because uh, to do what you do, obviously you have to have an affection and an appreciation for sports history. Uh, who do you wish you could go back in time and have a one-on-one
3: with? Uh, I would think... I mean, when I was growing up, it was always baseball. So for me, you know, the baseball in its heyday in the '50s, you know, with Mays, Aaron, uh, DiMaggio. Well, DiMaggio was more '40s, '30s, '40s, but uh, but I think probably with regards to baseball, be Babe Ruth.
1: Babe Ruth be back
3: in the day with Babe Ruth in the '20s. You know, I mean, uh, more homers than any other team in the league. He was making more than the president. You know, it's like the the Babe (laughs) was. He was the guy, right? And he was the first mega superstar uh, in the roaring twenties to really raise the level of all sport. So I, you know, there's so many great Babe Ruth stories. I think it's probably Babe Ruth.
2: Could Sorry. you out drink him? Could you out drink him?
3: <laughs> no, not that of what I've heard. <laughs> now I will say this: now that you've got my mind going, besides Babe Ruth, I think it had to be Muhammad Ali. Oh, Muhammad yeah. Ali, it has got to be Ali. Suggesting. I mean, Ali trumps Ruth, and you know that. I really, you know, that I think because. Ali transcended sport, and, yep. and not only was he the great boxer, but you know he for what he stood for, his principles, what he gave up, what he, he fought people for. People together, yeah. Uh, hit the whole arc of his story and his life. Um, you know, I came came in in the late '80s, and I so I missed Ali. You know, and I wish I had covered those great fights: uh, the Thrill in Manila, the Rumble in the Jungle, Ali-Frazier won. You know, just I think Ali, because I know writers who did cover Ali, uh, uh, yeah, the stories they tell. I mean, actually, one of them on the Press Box Access, Tom Archdeacon from Dayton. He's in the Boxing Hall of Fame. He covered several of Ali's fights towards the end of his career. And cool. uh, the stories are unbelievable. Uh, and then talk about the access and 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 just a great person to deal with. Uh, that was never a dull moment when you're around Ali, from what I hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I think about, you, you, I ask
1: you that question from a from a sports perspective, you know, uh, I always think about, you know, if I had a chance to sit down with a famous writer who no longer is living or uh, a classic actor who is no longer living, you know, who would I like to sit across from? Singer, I would have loved to, you know, I would love to talk to Frank Sinatra. I yeah, would love to right. sit across from Dean Martin. I yeah, loved, yeah uh, with a Rat
3: Pack, you know. You can be, drink the a with the right. Rat Pack. That'd be all
1: right. Hey, I would have loved to have sat across and had dinner with Hemingway uh, or, or or John Steinbeck. So uh, you know, it's interesting uh, to ask you about who who you want to be associated with sports wise that you never uh, would have had the opportunity to do so. Uh, Which what, what is your what is your favorite sport out of all the sports? I mean uh, that 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 you 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 personally. I, I, I'm going to say, you seem like you lean towards baseball.
3: Well, it always was baseball for the longest time. And then it was really basketball, um, you know, college basketball particular. Oh, Kentucky. Yeah. Well, not even so much that, but just I covered a lot. I covered Xavier and some UC. And uh, even in Columbus, I was covering, you know, a lot of different basketball things. But the sport I probably wrote more about was football, uh, especially in the you know later years of my career. I was doing a lot of. Um, college football you know regionally and nationally, but also uh, the NFL where I was doing a lot of Bengals and Browns and and so I would I was having weekends towards the end where I was like going to a Big Ten game on Saturday and then going to Cleveland the next day on Sunday for an NFL game. So you know I was around football a lot. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite sport, it's just to me the most fascinating in terms of you know, we know it's not good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Brain damage. Right, yeah. Right. We know it's brutal. And yet it's, you know, you can't turn your eyes away. You know, there's something well, about it. that's and uh, being around the NFL teams and seeing what these guys did, um, you know, to play the game and how big some of them were and how little some of them were. Yeah. Just, again, if you're on the field it's Roman gladiators. And so yeah. football was probably not my favorite sport, but probably the one I was always most fascinated how, by. How much
1: do you think money has changed professional sports?
3: That's the same as has changed anything. You know, I mean,
1: I, I think back to when, you know, Terry Bradshaw would talk about, uh, you know, how he had to sell cars or insurance in the off season to kind of make ends meet. And that, uh, you know, his, his bonus, I think, his signing bonus was a hundred thousand dollars that was spread out over, uh, I don't know, how many payments. You know, <laughs> and, and, and he talks about how he how he wishes that he was making the kind of change that you know people make now in the NFL yeah. and, so forth and so on. So has, uh, you know, you know, money. They say the root of all evil has that evil infiltrated professional sports to a point where
3: it's changed the games. Well, it has it has changed the games in terms of uh, just the way it's presented to the public. I mean, you know, pretty much every game's on television. You know, games take four hours to play now. They're played late at night when I want to go to bed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, but the athletes and you know the money they make. Well, who should be paying that money? If there's that much money being generated, you know, shouldn't the players be getting it? I mean, there is no game without the the players. Are you talk about college. Well, yeah, I mean, even <laughs> in college, in that regard, right? I mean, that's the thing that's changing and evolving, right? Yeah. We're going to see, we're going to see changes to that.
1: That's but a whole other pro podcast. Sports,
3: pro sports, the, you know, money has changed the game, but you know, I've seen articles from 1908 in the Sporting News where people were complaining about ballplayers making too much money, right? Mm. You know what I mean? Just the same as I've seen articles in Sports Illustrated in the 1950s where parents were complaining about their kids being. Overweight and out of shape in the 1950s. So I mean, a little bit of it is, yeah, it's crazy. These the money these guys are making. Um, but if you think about like in PGA golf, there's what 100 something, 130 guys on tour. Right. How many people on the planet? There's 130. Right. They can play so, their game. I mean, that's that's tiny. I mean, that's like minuscule. It doesn't mean they they deserve all that money. I mean, maybe that would have been some firefighters a- and. And healthcare workers, they yeah. deserve
1: the money. <laughs> Maybe that would have but, been a better question. You know, does do, does everybody that makes that kind of money deserve that kind of money? Uh, th- that well, Clint right Eastwood said, but,
3: "Deserves" got nothing to do with it. So <laughs> uh, All right. that's yeah. what Clint Eastwood said. You you know, right? like, yeah, I just get back to like if if whatever <laughs> you're doing is generating that much income, I would think that the people who participate in the in the game. You know, and they deserve. That's why that you're watching. You're watching. I game.
2: mean, you know, it's a skill skill sports, right? You get paid a certain amount of money because you're skilled yeah. at writing.
3: Yeah, and I mean, it's I, the
2: same I, thing with sports, right? I,
3: I ran cross country in high school. Nobody cared. Nobody came. To watch park <laughs> yeah, right. Go in the woods. I mean, so did I deserve to get paid the same as uh, in an NFL player? No. So it's it's it, you know it depends on you're not getting your head bashed in. Yeah right. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason that I was running.
0: <laughs>
1: well, you mentioned it earlier. Babe Ruth was making more money than the president. You know, yeah, I asked him why, and he said, "Because I had
3: a better year." <laughs> That's right.
0: Yeah.
3: And he yeah. was right. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, but money's changed really since since uh, free agency started. You know, erupting in the mid to late '70s. Right. This is what we've known now for 40, 50 years. So, I mean, it's almost like an old debate. I mean, of course, they're making ridiculous amounts of money, of course. But you almost have to, like, take that out of the equation to really try to enjoy it. Because you don't go to the movie and and start complaining about how much Jack Nicholson's making. No. Right. So, But I think what happens in sports is, you know, we all can throw a ball. We all can. We all can do that somewhat. Not all of us.
0: <laughs> and the blend between like just a sports star, just an actor, and it, 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 it um it's washing away, you know that that line, that yeah, line. Uh, you know they're they're in, they're forcing themselves
3: in your home uh all the time, sport, whether it's I mean, on I mean, Dancing it with the Stars routine, or whatever yeah. else. Right? Yeah. Right. I think that used to be that sport was more about sport, and now it's more about celebrity. You know, entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh it didn't matter if you went to the ball game on a Tuesday and it was. Dull game, but the sun was out and you're with your buddies having a cold one. You know, it was a good time. Now it's like, oh, that game sucked. It was not an entertaining game. We need more offense. You know, let's put a guy on second. and Let's speed the clock up. And oh, I hate five. that
2: let's
1: shit.
3: Uh, it changes, you know. I, and, I think and, that has to do with the money. And
1: the cost mm. that 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 kind of trickles down to the fans. I mean, what was a Super Bowl ticket? Seven thousand dollars to go sit in the. My sister, who lives in Tampa, said it was seven grand to sit in the in the yeah. note of an empty, not an empty stadium, but uh, you know, a a safe distanced stadium down in Florida. Seven grand to go see the Super Bowl. Yeah. Can you, you, like can year you year I imagine I was, if you okay.
2: bought a ticket for seven grand and, and they right. tested your temperature at the gate and you couldn't get in? That would suck. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs>
3: The weekend was pretty good. Somebody asked me if I wanted to go see the Blue Jackets game. And I'm like, why? I'm like, buy a ticket? Like, they used to pay me to go. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right, right. right. (laughs) I'm going to pay to go. So, I mean, tickets tickets are only worth what people are willing to pay, right, in the end. So, um, you know, again – I saw Springsteen in '81 for twelve dollars, you know. So, hey, that's nice. You know, but a going to a movie <laughs> that was two dollars. So, oh my God, my dad was saying, "I can't believe you're paying twelve dollars to go to a concert." Right? <laughs> yeah, it's all you can't, can't
1: park for twelve dollars now. <laughs> right, right. You really can't. You really can't. Uh, one more uh, sports question from from Jamie. He asked first of all if you're a, a baseball Hall of Fame voter. Interesting question. And will Clemens, uh, Big Mac, Bond, Sosa ever get in why do so many
3: sports writers not realize it was just the time. That's a great question. Uh, first, the first part, I'm not a baseball hall of fame writer, a voter. You had to have 10 consecutive years as a member of the baseball writers. I think I was up to seven or eight. And when I left Cincinnati and, and was no longer doing baseball, I, I kind of lost that. So, um, which is fine. You know, I wasn't around baseball as much then. Um, you know, the Hall of Fame thing is is, is, is an end age old question, right? I mean, I know from my ties and years in Cincinnati, Pete Rose, that, that question never goes away. Um, you know, I think, you know, the Hall of Fame's a club, right? And it's a club and it's got its own little rules. And, you know, I mean, if I'm in broadcaster and all on saying what and I cover baseball, I'm saying, why can't I vote? You know, why is it only the writers? You know, and it's just one of those things that's evolved the way it is. And I think, uh, the question about why can't people see, see it for what it was, you know, the steroid era of baseball. I think, I think part of that is it gets back to like stats are so, uh, so important part of baseball in particular, There they are one way that you can compare eras. And I think they got so out of whack that it turned off a lot of, a lot of older fans and a lot of the writers. And so it gets kind of personal, you know, in that regard. And I think, uh, you know, yeah. I, I think, you know, they got to be in and you put an asterisk on their plaque and you say, yeah. this is what they did. You know, and yeah. this is what happened? I mean, how many times man? in their time, they were the best. Uh, you know, I mean, the drug testing issue is, is fascinating. You can go into every sport pretty much and, yeah. and start debating people. Uh, and it's always been there. Right. The ancient Greeks used to build statues of, of people that fail what they had is drug testing. And the reason they built a statue was is to shame them and yeah. to, to tell them, the people like this is, this is what they did. So drug cheating and, and that argument, that goes back to the ancient Greeks. Oh, you're welcome. But, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know right?
2: <laughs> I, know, I was watching that 30 for 30 Maguire Sosa summer. I oh, think the yeah. documentary was. And, and, and you, you're right. Every time I'm an older baseball fan, every time I would see their face, I would go, you fucking cheater! These fuckers were cheating, and I, I I I got so angry watching the documentary because they were so heralded at the time. Yeah. But knowing what we know now, I'm just like, you know what? That whole fucking run, that entire summer, it was bullshit.
3: I and remember when, that.
1: And when Hank Aaron passed away, what was everybody saying? The true home run king. Yeah. 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 Yep. The true
3: home run yeah i used to say that pro wrestling was more honest because it told you it was right yeah exactly (laughs) right you know we are fake right and you accept it and then you go enjoy it you know guy pulls out a chair all right you know i don't know i just feel like the drug testing issue you can go on you could do nine shows about that i know yeah Well, I'm sure you'll cover a
1: lot of those bases uh, in in some of your podcasts moving forward. Uh, Before we go, Todd, uh, the boys and I discussed a a lightning round with you. Uh Yes or no questions. We're going to go round robin. Each one of us will have one question. It'll It'll go Whitney, Hansberry, me. Whitney, Hansberry, me. Whitney, Hansberry, me. You can answer only yes or no. No added editorials. No yes buts. Yes, can, no I, question. can I ask for my attorney?
3: Can I at least get <laughs> <it>? <laughs> Please, so, the fifth.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll start with, uh, we'll have three questions apiece, starting with Whitney with his first yes or no question for Todd.
2: T. Rose, Hall of Fame? Yes.
1: Hensbury.
0: <laughs> NFL should adopt the XFL's three-point extra-point
1: rule. No. <laughs> Please. definitive. No, no extra editorials. Me. Do you think Tom Brady made a deal with Satan?
3: <laughs> no, Tom Brady is Satan. <laughs> hey, that,
1: was, that was an
3: okay editorial.
1: Yes or, no. or no question? Whitney?
2: Uh, in, in, in hockey, is offsides a dumb rule?
0: Yes. Thank you. Yes, Cheerleaders at Major League Baseball games?
3: Hell yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My second question you already answered. Do you think Tom Brady is Satan?
2: <laughs> yes.
1: Yes, yes your <laughs> Whitney, third question.
2: Uh, has the DH ruined baseball? No. Nah.
0: No. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm breaking the rules. Best American Woody. Woody Hayes, Woody Harrelson, Woody from Toy Story.
1: Uh, it's got to be Woody Hayes. It's called Sorry, uh, Woody Hayes. <clears throat> and my last question, Giselle Buncheon, Is she really a woman or just a good-looking man? Yes, <laughs> I got
2: one more. I got one more though. All right, okay, go, 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 with me. Uh Cornhole in major league sports someday. Yes,
0: <laughs> the King of coming is coming <laughs> <Yes. laughs> back. Yes, hold on. He'll be the commissioner.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'll be
1: there. The return of the King of Sling. The
3: King is back. <laughs>
1: One bonus question: Will you ever come back on whiskey business?
0: <laughs> yes, yes.
1: <Nice. laughs> Press. All right.
3: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, no you, you know, you got something about Tom Brady, though, man. I, you I know. I- I'm starting to worry about you. You know, I think yeah. your therapist needs to hear about this. I don't know what
1: I don't know what it is. It's uh, you know, uh, and I call. I even called my mother out on it because my my mother was on the podcast, and and uh, and and I had to remind her that when she was on the podcast, she actually bitched about Tom Brady. She said that Tom Brady made too much money. Why do they? I do remember that, and she was bitching about Tom Brady. Yeah, right. now, Tom Brady's down in Tampa and playing for the Buccaneers. And she actually said to me in the conversation, that Tom Brady, he's something, isn't he, honey? And I went, Ma, really? <laughs> really? Do you want me to bring up the, oh, don't play that tape? <laughs> don't play that tape. We've no, got it on tape, Mom. You know, yeah, we do. You said the Spurgeon thing. I, you know, I'm just, it it, it it basically boils down to not so much a hatred for Tom Brady, a little bit, but the, 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 the fact that when he was with the Patriots, they tied the Steelers for the uh, amount of Super Bowls won. And, that, and it really comes down to something that petty. And I don't care. I, hey, I, hey, it's I, sports. I, nothing's petty. I, I, I nothing's petty. It. And I also, <laughs> to what Hansberry said earlier, too, the one thing I do miss... Uh, you're right, very about social media and so forth and so on. During the entire Super Bowl, I was on a text thread with Jamie Sanfilippo and about 13 other guys from the Columbus Italian Club and everybody was in the moment texting and, and, and then talking about the game. That's what I miss. I miss not being able to do that right then and there to maybe go into a bar the next day or the day after that and talk about the Super Bowl in length and depth about it as opposed to just blowing it all there that night while you're sitting on your couch. And then the next day, if you were to see the same people in a bar or a restaurant. Yeah. Well, least, yeah, You already said everything you had to say. Yeah. About. You yeah. know, I, I, I kind of miss the, that, that, that camaraderie after the game and the discussions and the debates, yeah. but every once in a while, you oh. can still, you can still get into a, a, a nice good argument about sports.
3: Well, that's what you'll get on Press Box Access. See that pitch I just gave you? There,
1: there you know. go. Hey. Good transition. <laughs> nice pitch.
3: Press Box <laughs> Access, which is hard to say three times
1: fast, especially <laughs> when you been drinking. Uh, debuts February the 17th. It'll be every two weeks on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Uh, Todd Jones will be your host. One Degree Greater, that podcast is currently on as we speak
3: as well. What is, what's that one all about? Yeah, we did a podcast at Ohio State uh, with young alumni just telling their stories, uh, different, you know, different alums who are out in the world. You know, once you get out of school and the real world hits, what's it like? Uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, check them out. There's some pretty cool alums out there doing some good things excellent so you can check that out as well todd
1: man thank you so much buddy hey thank you I, I
3: owe you guys some whiskey you know i you know i'm not a whiskey drinker i'm a beer guy yeah but i'd be glad to get some whiskey sent your way this has been a lot of fun i really really do appreciate it well we wish you nothing but success
1: and um I just hope the next time you're on, you're actually here because Todd and I live about four blocks away from one another and we're we're doing this podcast remotely. Uh, You're you're like four blocks down the street. So, but, you know, things things are the way they are. And until they get fixed properly and safely, we'll do the best that we can. Our guest has been Todd Jones, Hansberry, a little more business before we say goodbye. That's right, thanks for checking out whiskey business um again, if you're uh, watching
0: on Facebook or YouTube, thanks, feel free to subscribe and like share this uh podcast right now while you're thinking about it. Uh, I'd wait, but it's getting late uh, <laughs> I'd wait for you to do that um but uh if you are listening to this on uh, your favorite podcasting app. Don't forget to go check us out on uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube whiskey business with, you know, because uh, we'll let you know when we do live uh, streams like this and you can be a part of it, uh, commenting and asking questions along the way. And if you're finding us on Facebook for the first time, go, go uh, download us, subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Um, We've got an archive of, you know, five years of episodes. Uh, Plus, you can find all of uh, everything you need to know right here at whiskeybusinesspod.com. Including videos and handsome bios of uh, Dino and I, and a creepy arty arty pick <laughs> of John. Yeah, Whitney.
1: Hey, once, once, again, <laughs> once again, put those put those pictures back up, Whitney. Because yeah, of, yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's no, too done.
3: many steps. Too uh, uh, yeah, right,
0: right, so many
3: steps. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> I want to see that black and white thing again. No,
1: My name is John Whitney, and I dance. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, who, who was the Mike Myers character on SNL?
0: You make me.
2: You well, make this me. a great
1: appearance on Sprockets. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, Sprockets. All right, guys. All right. Uh, okay, and some of the great comments from yeah. people. Well, thank you, everybody, for the questions you asked. Some great questions for our guest Todd Jones tonight. Thank you mm-hmm. so much. Um, I'm going down to some of the other fun comments as well that for people that just tuned in and said. Hello, um, uh, Sarah Miller says, you mean you don't like the cardboard fan cutouts in soundboard <laughs> cheering <laughs> the stadiums? Uh, no, uh, I, I actually don't. But people paid big money to put their cutouts yeah. into the Super Bowl as well. Um, uh, great shirt, Todd. A lot of people loved your shirt
3: tonight, Todd. Hey, it was a great university to me. I'm really proud of my alma mater and, uh, you know.
0: College college
3: uh
1: the nfl should take college football's ot rules interesting
3: that's interesting i actually agree with that yeah Yeah.
1: a little bit a long live the king i imagine the king of sling that you were talking about oh yeah and a lot of people just saying that tonight was a great show and that uh you guys are fun deb birch says you guys are fun sarah says great show this was fun uh, everybody seemed to have a good time tonight. I know that we had a good time tonight. The guest bottle, our 154th bottle on the podcast, Filibuster out of the Commonwealth of Virginia, uh, double oaked first in charred casks and then rested in California wine barrels, uh, somewhere between 49 and 53 dollars a bottle. But I want to thank my brother in law, Mike Driss, for giving me this bottle uh, over Thanksgiving. A couple of thanksgivings ago i i don't know that i would have paid the 53 dollars for it If, but it's but it's good it's good and if you pick it up and uh you won't be disappointed in what it's got going on a little bit of vanilla a lot of caramel to me uh but uh, a fine fine pour and that's all the whiskey business really is about Uh, A good pour and a good conversation Which we've had with Todd Jones So thank you everybody who tuned in On Facebook Live, YouTube Live Todd Jones once again 21721 Press Box Access on the Evergreen Network, thank you so much For being who you are and doing What you do and ladies and gentlemen Until the next bottle See ya